you will uh, take the body to the church mm -hmm. and they will take the body and place it into a coffin that is already at the church. Oh. And then they will take it to the burial site. They will take the body out of the coffin in the sheet and then they will place the body uh, in the ground and bury them. All right, coming all the way from Cyprus, today we have Tina. She's a funeral director, or I, I would guess you would say mortician. What is the proper terminology that you use to call your kind of work in Cyprus? I would say it's, it's both. We're funeral directors and uh, morticians. I Like I said, I do stick more to the mortuary side. So I think I would classify myself as a mortician. But okay. I do like to branch out and learn all aspects of the job because I think it's very important to know all the little bits and pieces of what you're doing. Sure. sure. But yeah, I, I would say I'm a mortician. All right. So tell us where exactly, because not everyone knows Cyprus is a small country. So tell us where it's at in relation to the world. So I'm coming from the middle of the United States. So very far away from me right now. <laughs> yes, we're very far away. We are in, okay, we are in Europe. We're in the Mediterranean Sea, and it's a tiny little island. Uh, it's not far from Lebanon, and it's close to Turkey. So if, like on the map, it's like a tiny little dot. But it's a wonderful country. It's very hot here. I know I'm wearing a sweater, but it's very hot. Um, <laughs> in the winter... Toasty. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of sweating right now, but it's okay. Um, in, in the summer, we get pretty hot. Like, I don't know if you speak Celsius, but in Fahrenheit, I guess, over 100 degrees. Wow. Um, sometimes that is most hot. of the summer, actually, it's like perpetual summer. So were you, um, where were you born? Were you born in Cyprus or were you born elsewhere? No, I grew up, I grew up in Cyprus, but ethnically I'm Russian. Okay. But my family moved here when I was very little. So oh. this is my home pretty much. Um, we do speak Greek here. It's a slightly different dialect from the original Greek that you would hear in Greece. Okay. So it's a bit different. But it's still Greek, you know, and the traditions, they have their own traditions. But the thing about Cyprus is that it's been, you know, occupied for hundreds of years by so many different nations, by the British and by the oh. Turks. And, you know, it's a very multicultural place. There are so many nationalities here. You can meet absolutely anybody. Everybody lives here. It's, it's amazing. It's such a huge melting pot of nationalities. And therefore, there is a melting pot of different, you know, funeral rituals and burials and churches and cemeteries, really. It's, you never know what to expect. That's exactly what I was going to ask. I was going to say, if there's so many people coming from so many backgrounds, it has to be pretty um, unique and intense to be a funeral director because every service is going to be very different. Tell us how like a normal funeral or quote unquote normal service would be like your most common. What does that sort of look like um, on your day to, day to day life? Well, okay. Most commonly we do get the local population, you know, the elderly. Um, so like a typical Cypriot burial or like the whole pr process would be you pick up the body. Let's say it's a senior person, elderly man or something. Uh -huh. And we try to do funerals. Like the family prefers to do the funerals as soon as possible usually so like within a couple of days okay 
So we don't really embalm the separate uh, clients that we have. Okay. So normally we would just prep them, you know, you do the cleaning and the mouth and everything. You yeah. clean them up, you dress them. Normally it's a suit, which is normal for everybody. Uh-huh. And then we wrap them in a in a sheet and we place them in a coffin. And like how the actual funeral goes is almost always with separate burials, you go to a church for a service, Okay. you know. Uh, so you go to a church, it's about maybe 30, 40 minutes of, you know, prayer. And then sometimes the family will speak and then we'll take them to the burial site and it's, you know, nothing interesting. But we do have a thing where um, it's very normal at the grave. You will place the coffin on a stand. You will completely remove the lid of the coffin. And whoever wants to come say goodbye, they will walk up to the coffin, you know, say goodbye to the person. And then without the lid, we will place them into the ground. What? And then the priest, yeah, without the lid. And then the priest, um, okay, most of the time we place the lid back on, but sometimes not always, you know, kind of huh? place it lopsided. Uh, the priest will pour some oil, like olive oil, on the coffin wow. in the ground. He will throw some uh, grains of wheat, some water, some some soil, and he will pray. So that's like a little ritual that we do here. Uh, you know, it, it's it's coming from the old times. That's very unique. For for us here, you would very, very rarely, almost never have the casket be opened at the cemetery. Like the cemeteries will not allow that here. So that's a very different yeah. process that they get to say goodbye at the cemetery. Yeah, they get to say goodbye, you know, hug and kiss the person. Sometimes they cry. And huh. I think it's like a very good way to get closure. I think because this is probably something I would like to do, you know, if I was saying goodbye to my loved one, like just kind of say goodbye to them for the final time right? without any barriers. But yeah, the first time I saw that, I was a little bit perplexed as well. <laughs> it was interesting. I will tell you one more thing. In some areas of Cyprus, I was I have not been able to witness that yet. Maybe I will in the future. But in some places, <clears throat> this is also like an old tradition you will uh, take the body to the church Mm -hmm. and they will take the body and place it into a coffin that is already at the church. And then they will take it to the burial site. They will take the body out of the coffin in the sheet and then they will place the body uh, in the ground and bury them. That's it, you know? And then the coffin might be reused again. It's like a vehicle of sorts. Interesting. That's so very that, unique. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh you know, it's become kind of normal, but I've I've never seen that, but I thought it was quite neat. Family graves are very common here. Yeah, it's just you, you go to a cemetery and you'll see you'll see a lot of, you know, massive plots with three or four or five people buried there. So I don't know if that's common everywhere, but I always found that a little bit interesting. Yeah, we definitely see that here where there's a grouping where the families are, um, they're kind of together. That that happens like some, you know, relatively like frequently. What is the most uh, mm-hmm. interesting thing that you've seen like personally on the funeral side of things? Um, was it what you've already seen with the oil and the wheat and everything? Or was there something else that you, in your, in your uh, years of working, like what have you seen? Well, the oil and the wheat, it's pretty, it's, it's common. This is, it's normal, you know, almost all funerals are like that the separate ones. So it's become very normal for me to see the oil and the wheat and the water and the soil. Um, 
I would say in some, you know, because we do multicultural burials, so like different cemeteries and different procedures, um, sometimes they want to get the body buried as fast as possible. So you have the grave diggers, you know, the workers at the cemetery. As soon as the body is in the grave, the coffin, they will immediately start shoveling dirt into the grave, like as soon as possible, just just it's like a workout as fast as you can <laughs> and uh, everybody just stands there and they watch until until the grave is you know filled up and then they close it up again and it's like nothing's happened here it's, it is as fast as possible it's in and out it seems yeah i mean it's the actual soil you know placement that's that's fast because you know everybody's going to be standing there for as long as the grave diggers are working so the guys kind of trying to work faster so that's also interesting to see. It was a it was a new thing for me when I saw it the first time. <laughs> I'm sure it's funny because we have here um, trucks that will have the dirt, and they go on an angle, and it just kind of just goes into the grave, and the grave diggers just kind of are facilitating it. So it's much less of, of a workout for them, I would say. I have seen a truck, not the same kind that you're describing, but like a tractor, mm -hmm. and they will just pick up the dirt and throw it in there. But I've only seen that a couple of times. Normally it's grave diggers who do the job. They do a phenomenal job, I have to say, but you know. That's some hard work right there. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. They're all strong men. They have to be. <laughs> Oop, that's a death call here. Hold on just a second. All right. I think the students got it. I'm sorry about that. You know, we've been seeing a lot more business come in ever since we started Mortuary Marketing. And I got to tell you, all the funeral homes we work with, are they're saying the same thing. So what do we do? We run ads on Google and other similar sites that get directed at families that need a funeral home in your area. It then brings them to a page that we've designed for you that gets the family to call you to inquire for your services. It's really increased our volume big time. It's working for my funeral home. And I think most parlors could really benefit from its uses. I put a bunch of information in the podcast description. Go check it out. I'm always happy to help talk with you and answer any questions you might have. All right, let's get back to our morbid discussion. Uh, so talk us, talk to us about um, the embalming process, how it is there in Cyprus. Um, I want to see if there's any similarities or big differences because I know you do a lot of embalming, right? So what percent of the time do you think um, you are seeing embalming because I know people that are native to Cyprus maybe wouldn't go through that, but maybe the other people from other parts of the world are going through that process. So talk to us about how that works and um, what, what does it look like for you? Well, uh, some of my colleagues actually studied in the States, so um, they brought that knowledge with them. Oh. I think it's pretty similar. You know, it obviously depends whether your embalming is a closed case or an open case. Okay. So obviously, as you know, the, the technique is different. So, I mean, it's not that the local population is opposed to embalmings, not at all. It's just mm -hmm. there is no need for it, you know, right. because we're going to do the funeral a day or two or a few days after the person has died. So there's really no point. But since this is a very multicultural nation, we have so many people who are being shipped to other countries. Oh, you know? And for that reason, we do embalming. Mm -hmm. So normally, if it's a close case, it's it's really the same thing. You go through the neck if if you're lucky, unless you have to do all the points separately, right? You yeah. know, and it's, it's the same kind of machine. It's really similar, I think. Okay. Uh, the same liquid, 
all the same chemicals with an open case. I'm not sure what exactly you do in the States, but uh-huh. you know, you take everything out, go limb by limb, head, and then you close them up again. So I'm not sure if there's much of a difference. But uh, in Cyprus, we do not have a crematorium. Oh. Yeah, we not not yet. We will in the future, but it's been legalized in 2008, cremation. Until then, for religious reasons, it was not allowed. So if somebody wants to be cremated, they have to be sent abroad, cremated, and then their ashes are returned to Cyprus. So no that's also why we embalm people. No, yeah, it's, it's true. That's very unique. So wh- where where is like the closest crematory then? How long does it take to get there? Well, there's uh, usually, usually the country where we're sending the person already has a cremation point. So normally we just send them back home. But I would say we can send them to Greece or to England for that. Mm-hmm. It takes okay. a, a few weeks, you know, it depends on how busy they are as well. But maybe two, right. three, four weeks, and they'll be back. Wow, mm. that's very different. Wow. So, do you think that's going to become part of the future moving forward? Is are you seeing more and more people kind of go into the cremation? Definitely, I have. I am yet to see a Cypriot who wishes to be cremated, but we have a lot of foreigners who want to be cremated. And I think you know, with the newer generations, you know, my age and people younger, in the future, they will be more open to cremation. So I'm I'm 100% sure there's going to be a crematorium here and it's going to become a little bit more popular because, you know, nowadays people are not as religious as they used yeah. to be. Mm-hmm. So I think they will allow themselves, you know, this option. Yeah, that's that's wild. Wow, that's that's a fun fact. So how did you uh, even get started, like, in the funeral industry in general? What What kind of sparked your interest and what were you doing beforehand? Well, uh, beforehand, I've had a few jobs, but I spent quite a few years working in in an office, just paperwork, paperwork all day long. Yeah. And honestly, it was just not doing it for me. I was like, this is this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I thought, you know, what are my interests? Yeah. I, I mean, if you consciously make the decision to go into a funeral industry, that means you really do love the job. Because right. not many people can withstand all of this if you hate it, you know? Yep. It'd be like, very you can work in an office and hate your job, but still, you know, okay, it pays the bills. I can deal with this. Uh-huh. N- not on the funeral home. <laughs> That's for um, sure. No, I was, I was always interested in it. I just never allowed myself the possibility that, hey, maybe I can actually do this. So yeah. I called up a funeral home and I asked them if they needed an extra set of hands. They said, you know, come and try it out. It turns out, you know, my team turned out to be amazing, very good people, and they're great at what they do. They they know what they're doing. They love what they do. So, you know, you want to work in a place that actually respects the whole industry and respects the people they work with. Yeah, I feel like it's very important for me. It is. Because, I mean, Did you have to go to school then? Or is there any sort of licensing that you need there in Cyprus? Uh, you you do need licensing here to be a funeral director. Um, mm-hmm. Since I'm still in the process of obtaining one, I am not leading any funeral. So I'm not actually doing oh. the funeral director job. Got I'm it. just, you know, in the background doing the assistant work, let's say. But yes, you do need a license. You need to sit on exam. So hopefully 
we'll get there. So is there a school nearby or where would you go uh, for your education then? Well, there is no actual funeral, you know, like a bachelor's or something that you can get here right. in Cyprus. But there is a course that the local university offers oh, okay. that you go independently and you sit through it. You do the exams and they register you. So, you know, we're in the process of that. But there's not that many degrees to choose from in Cyprus. So <laughs> usually people will go abroad to, to get that education. But I'm, I'm very fortunate that the people I work with, they are members of many different associations and they are allowed to teach me and show me things. And, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Where, so w- what way would you think you're leaning? Do you think you would stay there and get, you, you know, the, the courses there? Or do you think you would go abroad and try to learn um, elsewhere? Well, I, I want to stick to the funeral home I work with. Okay. We're like a little, you know, home away from home for me, in a sense. Sure. I spent a lot of time there. Um, I do want to stay here, but I think it would be an interesting experience to travel to another country and work with them for a month or two to see, you know, the way they do things and learn new techniques and meet new people in a sense. So hopefully in the future, if that's a possibility, I would like to go for a little while. And, you know, because I've been listening to your podcast and uh, I'm I'm sorry, I don't remember her name. Uh, She was talking about uh, the funeral industry in Ireland and Spain. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. And she and she said how she had like fourteen or sixteen bodies a day to prepare. I don't I don't understand like how how do you do that? Yeah, the level of I've never even come that close to that number. That's extremely <sighs> impressive. Like I Luckily, don't know how people do it. I don't know how she does it. I don't know how people do it, but you know, hat off for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't even come close to that number. I like to, you know, take my time and, okay, I want to do it properly, slowly, just watch everything, you know. Yeah, that's the way. And Thankfully, I, we're not so busy. All, I guess it depends on kind of the funeral home you're at and how busy you are. Like, if you have mm-hmm. to do that many, then you just figure out your way and like, all right, I'm just going to like put my nose down and go as fast as I can. But when you have the opportunity and the luxury to kind of take your time then you could be more detail oriented, I think, and really go above and beyond for kind of the family is the way I would look at it. Yeah, I think that's kind of the case for us because, okay, you know, we have more funerals than we do embalmings. Mm-hmm. So I'm lucky in that sense because maybe I'll have one or two, not even every day. So I kind of just stick to the funeral part, you know, the prepping right. and the just general, you know, there's always work to be done, you know? Yeah. So when I do get an embalming, I do like to spend a bit more time, like two hours, three hours, uh-huh. you know, mm-hmm. and just kind of do everything slowly. Sometimes, I'm sure you know from experience, sometimes you will, uh, you know, come face to face with, you know, cases that are a little bit more tough to crack. Not yeah. everything is so easy and flowy and just, oh, I can just breeze through it. No, sometimes you get, you know, accidents or people who are sick and you have to really work around the issues that you're facing. Yeah, there's always, there's always. So I, I'm lucky in that sense that I have all the time. For sure. I, I mean, I was just yeah. doing a, a case this morning that was a tough one. I don't know if you have that here, but we have eye donation where the eye bank would come and then the person like physically donates their eyes. I don't know if it seems like you don't have that there, but um, 
So what you would have to do, you would have to pretty much clean out what would be the internal part of the eye and then build them up with cotton or Webrel and then eye caps. It, it's a whole procedure and mm-hmm. it's a little bit of an extra curveball. And I just was dealing with one of those today. And just like you said, Tina, you never mm-hmm. know what you're going to kind of get your hands on and you just got to be willing to like put in right? like a little bit of time. But um, I'm guessing, is that not a thing there? The eye bank? <laughs> I have never heard of that. No. Okay. So I'm guessing. Um, how does that? What do you mean? Somebody comes and physically donates their eyes? Like you mean from body to body, or from? So they would be extracted at the <laughs> hospital before they come to the funeral home. Is what happens. That's mortifying. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it is for someone that hasn't seen it before. That's for sure. <laughs> you know. You see, that's why I want to travel and work because I'm very curious to see something yeah. like that. And is it all across the states that we do that? I, I think so. I mean, I, I guess I haven't asked too many people that I've talked to, but it's definitely a big thing here. It's prevalent. Like it happens, you know, a few times a year, at least for us. But what's what's the point of doing that? Like you're going to close your eyes anyway. What is the point? Uh, it's something to do with whatever they're extracting is valuable, like for the people that are still alive. So I think whether they can actually use the eye in some sort of way, to be honest, I don't know exactly what it is. Um, I just know what I have to do on the other end. So, um, there, there's obviously some sort of use that, that they're able to get out of them. Okay. Well, that's interesting to know. Yeah. So if you ever see that. Thanks for that, Margaret. Um, so where, where did your coworkers um study in the states or where where were they um practicing in the states i'd be interested to know and how do they like it and what's kind of the biggest difference for them well um i cannot answer what is the big biggest difference for them because again you know they're not here um Uh but they studied in arizona from what i remember Uh i haven't really asked them many questions because i don't know why actually but (laughs) I do know that they brought all that knowledge back to Cyprus and I I know that they're very passionate about their jobs. So it's always nice to see, you know, it's always good to see people who are acing it in their element. Mm -hmm. It's not when somebody does a halfway job and it's like, yeah, yeah, okay, it'll do. No, they're, they're actually doing a good job. And it's interesting because you can sit there and observe and you're learning just by watching them. And I feel like it's a very precious commodity you know for me at least because yeah. i'm learning so it's especially that the fact that you're learning like there's no one better to learn from that someone that you know takes their job that seriously that really wants to kind of do the work in the appropriate way and i think um our industry is very lucky that we have people that so many people that are like that because everyone's passionate like you said earlier tina you don't get into funeral service unless you actually have like an, a big passion for it so i think that's why it's cool mm-hmm. that all kind of can relate to each other because we all have that passion for whether it's helping people or um, helping the person that passed away, whatever the kind of their realm is, that we all bring sort of a passion that many other jobs you wouldn't necessarily see. No, that's that's completely true. And I think I'm very lucky uh, to be able to work in a place like that because, I mean, I haven't worked in any other funeral home, so I wouldn't know. But I'm going to bet that there are people who just work for the sake of working. Yeah. So it, it's always good to see people who are attentive and looking around and they're performing, you know, they're going over an, an extra and above yeah. for the family they're working with. You might have three funerals that day, 
but you're still going to give your 100% every time. Sure, sure. So I enjoy what, that. What does your yeah. funeral home look like? Do you have um, what we would call chapels or rooms that you have kind of a viewing or a visitation at? Or what, what does it look like there? I'm interested. We do have chapels, yes. Um, it's basically like just you just walk into an office, not like a, you know, office office. Uh-huh. But you walk in, there is a normal sitting room, you know, the office where you, we discuss details. Well, I don't personally, but my bosses do. They discuss details with the families. And in the back, we have another seating area and we have a little chapel. You know, it's it's very cozy. It's very comforting with nice lighting. And we do have uh, crosses and, you know, all the religious stuff because it's usually what people prefer to have. Yep. Um, and in the back, we have the mortuary room. It's separate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't really catch a glimpse of it because I don't think people would want to see that. No. <laughs> But I think it's a pretty standard funeral home, like from what I've seen on the internet, you know, looking around and trying to learn about other places. I think it's pretty standard office, chapel, mortuary, big fridge, you know, embalming area. It sounds it sounds pretty similar. Yeah. Are there a lot of other yeah. funeral homes in yeah. Cyprus? Is there a lot of competition for you or are you one of the only ones? No, we're not one of the only ones. There's there's a few in every town. Um, I wouldn't know the exact traffic, you know, for them. I know there are some funeral homes that do not embalm people. They outsource it to some other professional or another funeral home. Okay. And then they pick up the body. So they might have, you know, seven or 10 funerals a day. Right. While we might have less, but we have other kinds of jobs that we must perform. So it just depends on the mentality of the funeral home owner and the people that work there. Got it. Got Some it. people just don't have the facilities to embalm. Well, they have to outsource. That makes sense. That makes sense. I think you're fortunate that two other funeral directors have gotten to learn from like different experience in different places. So you can all work mm-hmm. together to kind mm-hmm. of work on your craft to make it as, you know, as good as possible and like learn different things from different parts of the world. That is probably the best way of learning how to do that mm-hmm. stuff. And maybe those other funeral homes don't have that ability or don't have the the staff that has had that experience or something. Yeah, I think uh, it it is pretty interesting. I don't often get to embalm with, you know, my colleagues, mm-hmm. but when I do, it's always an interesting experience because there's always something new you'll learn. Right. So that's very valuable. I don't, can I ask you in the States when somebody passes away, like, and they don't have any family or friends who wish to claim them and take care of the funeral what happens to that person? Like, does the state take care of them or? Yes, that is what happens here. So I'm in Chicago and the medical examiner would handle that situation. So they would bring in the body to the medical examiner facility. They would wait X amount of time. I can't remember how many weeks it is. If the if there's no family or the body mm-hmm. goes unclaimed, then eventually um, the body will be um, a lot of times embalmed by the mortuary schools, like for, for practice cases, and then they'll be cremated after that. So that is typically how the process works, um, for at least my area. And I know it's similar, um, in other areas too. Okay. I didn't. Okay. Well, that's, I guess that's really good for the students Yeah, when they get to practice in and, that way. And it's nice. They, you know, the person that passed away had a dignified um, way of disposition, even if they didn't have any family or whatever the situation was, um, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. It, it makes it it makes it a little bit more special for a situation that that's kind of hard, that's kind of tough sometimes. 
Yeah, I can I can imagine. I don't I don't imagine many families would wish to donate like their granddad or their brothers or whatever to for you know for people to practice on. No. So maybe that's that's a way out. Exactly. Uh, what happens there if if someone okay. doesn't have family or if um if there's a tough situation like that? Okay, well, um we have had cases where I, the state doesn't the state the government doesn't really um, have a program for that because again the population of the entire country is you know less than a million people considering the occupied side because the north of the island has been occupied so we don't really you know it's a it's it's a divided country and my cap the capital the town i live in it's the only capital in the world that's divided between two places two governments oh. which is yeah there's you know un and everything there's a buffer zone it's it's quite surreal because I moved to the town just a couple of months ago, and it's it and it's still surreal for me to look outside and I just see a strip of blackness because it's nobody lives there. It's just abandoned, oh, so it's, it's quite wild. But yeah, um, no the the whole thing is I've had cases I've seen them where people have stayed in the hospital bridge for eight months. Oh no, you know maybe more. Yeah, because either the family is abroad and they don't have the money to, you know, pay for the service and bring them back or maybe at least bury them in Cyprus. Mm -hmm. So that's always a bit tough. You always feel this, you know, like this sympathy because nobody is supposed to be treated that way. Oh. But unfortunately, you know, you can't help it. Some people just don't have the money or they don't have any family to take care of them so sometimes a community of like-minded people will get together and they'll help pay for the funeral or sometimes the you know the insurance will help but it's always really upsetting and i'm always confused what do you what do you really do if somebody is stuck in the fridge for three months six months whatever more yeah. i don't know that's that's really so nice. i was curious how you guys do it that's really nice that some people will, will kind of come together to do that because that's got to be such a hard thing that there's nothing kind of in place to to take care of that. So that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah, it brings people together. It's like a, it's, it's humanity, you know, it's what we're supposed to do. Unfortunately, not many people actually do it, but yep. it's always good to see people coming together and trying to help. Absolutely. It's a very close knit community in Cyprus. Like, like I said, the population's low. So everybody knows everything and everyone in a sense. <laughs> I'm sure it's very close connected. Yeah. It so it's always good to see, you know, in Cyprus, families are normally really large. There's a lot of brothers and sisters and kids and grandkids. And mm -hmm. so the local people don't really have that problem. It's mainly because we also get a lot of refugees and immigrants. So usually it happens to, to them, unfortunately. Got it. Well, Tina, thank you yeah. so much for, for taking the time. I think you gave us a bit of a, a history and geography uh, lesson, as well as a lot on <laughs> funeral service, too. Um, a lot of interesting yeah. stuff, different yeah. things. It's it's really cool and interesting to compare. I do want to ask a final question. Uh, how do you say the word embalm yeah. in, in Greek? In Greek. <laughs> okay, well, the word embalming is tarihefsi. Uh, uh, so... I'm not there you go. 
Well, we, we, we appreciate you so much, Tina. That was a lot of fun. Um, hopefully everything uh, continues to go well with your education and whatever route you decide to go on. And uh, we appreciate what you do out there helping families every day. Thank you so much for having me. I, I hope it was, it was interesting. It was.